as Yvette and as the worship team said, we're talking about second chances and the need we have for them and the way that God gives them to us. Because sometimes we mess up, you know, the first time around. In fact, second time around, the third time around. And God continually is gracious enough to give us opportunity to, to rebound back. Let's take a second and pray, can we? So, Father, we thank you now for these moments and this time and ask that you would um, use this for your glory and for changing in our lives. And thank you for being that kind of a God for us. Amen. Thank you so much. Hey, we're talking about finding God's direction for our lives, and we're looking at the book of Jonah. Jonah is one of those where you can sit down and read it in about 10 minutes. Um, it's a very quick, almost a very fun story, and what goes on. And I think bedtime for children in Israel a couple thousand years ago, it would be, Dad, can you read Jonah? You know, the guy that got swallowed by the big fish, you know, and the dad would say, you know, there's more to the story than that. It's actually a story of God's love for people, and it's also a story about God's plan for your life, and it's about how to have a real fulfilled life, and it's about the process that God uses to shape us and mold us, and it's about how we have to lose our life to find it, and then it's about a God who gives, of course, what we're talking about a God who gives second chances. The book of Jonah is in the Bible, and, and he lived about 800 years before Jesus was born. He was a prophet in Israel, and God said to him, I need you to go to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was about 500 miles to the northeast, and Jonah said, to heck with that. I want to be in charge of my own life, and he tries to run from God. Never, never a good idea. Um, it never ends well. And when you read the story, you know, you know, the weather started getting rough. You know, the tiny ship was tossed. You know, it's, it's going up and down, up and down. And, and Jonah gets thrown overboard. The sea becomes calm. Charlie the tuna swallows him. And finally, Jonah says, I give up. God, I give up. <clears throat> and that's always a great start because the best life is always a life of surrender. And you don't, as Jesus would say, you really don't find your life until you what? Till you lose it. You lose your life for his sake, and you'll actually find it. And it says, the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Yuck. You know, could you just imagine that? Jonah's on the beach. He's kind of scraping off the whale puke, thinking, well, I'm glad that's over. I'll just head back home. And it says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Uh-oh. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Same song, second verse. And I would wonder if Jonah's thinking, God, you still want me to go? You know, after all I went through, you know, after all you did, don't you realize the kind of person you're asking for? You know, you're asking to do this? It's me, you know. I'm the one who runs away from you. And, and maybe there's something here for me and you that God has placed in your heart something you need to do, something you need to talk to about God, and you've avoided it. You've avoided it. God still wants us to go. It says, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. Okay, he goes back, you know, and it's been a long, strange trip, but he's finally there where God would want him. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all. Jonah's about, the city of Nineveh is about... 600,000 people. How long does it take to see Half Moon Bay? I was like, walked up Main Street for 10 minutes. I mean, that's about it. This one took three days to see. So it's one of the big metropolitan cities, 
one of the major dominant cities um, in the land at that time. And where do you start telling people? Where do you start on this? You know, somebody said Starbucks. You know, you just start Starbucks. You start going there. It says, on that day, he shouted to the crowds. So he just starts hollowing to the crowds. I do not know what's going on, and my apologies for this. Um, I just crowds. If I could have the helpful. There we go. Yeah, thank you, John. He needs his exercise anyway. On the day Joan entered the city, he shouted to the crowds. So he just starts hollering to the crowds. I mean, that's what he's doing, just hollering to the people. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Okay? Count the words. You know, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. We're talking eight words. Okay? That's his entire message. It's, it's eight words. The whole message. And I know you're thinking, Paul, how come you can't do your message in eight words? <laughs> but behind this, you begin to see the attitude that Jonah still has, don't you? I mean, what kind of hope is there in this message? What kind of compelling reason would people have to come to God or to even know a God of mercy or grace? Or There's no hope here. You can understand Jonah still has this thing against the Ninevites. It's kind of basically this. God, I'm going to do as little as I can. Um, you want me to give a message? Fine. Here it is. And I'm going to give you the bare minimum of my life. Forty days from now, you guys are history, and I'm glad because this whole trip has been a hassle, and I don't even like you very much. And, 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 and I get the impression that, that Jonah is just kind of functioning on the very bare minimum of commitment that he could possibly have to God. What kind of life is that? What kind of life is that to just to say, I'm going to do the minimum daily requirement for God, and that's it? I mean, his surrender was somewhat conditional. God, I give my life to you, well, not so much today, maybe tomorrow. I'll go through the outward motions, but my heart isn't in this. You know, it's kind of like the little kid who was given a timeout by his mom, told him to go sit down in his timeout chair. He went there, but he wouldn't sit down, you know, and... So she plopped his little butt in it, and, and he sat there and said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You know, it's that kind of, a, it's that kind of an attitude. Jonah is in Nineveh on the outside, but he's anyplace else on the inside. And, 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 you know, you just begin to start thinking, how does God put up with this guy? You know, how does God put up with this guy? That's a... Not, it's a challenging question to ask because you want to then have to ask it about yourself. How does God put up with, with, with this guy? You know, I don't know. But something happens. Something very unexpected happens. It says the people of Nineveh believed God's message. I think Jonah at that time is going, you know, no, 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 no. You know, no, not, 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 not them. You're not supposed to believe this stuff. 
It says the people of Nineveh believed God's message from the greatest to the least. They declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Fasting, obviously, is to show sorrow. Burlap is to show repentance. And everybody includes everybody. The poor, the rich, the snot-nosed kid who throws rocks into your yard, you know, the princes and the princesses, the guy who cuts your hair. And people begin to change. The couple next door, they don't scream at each other so much. The kid that throws rocks into your house comes over and mows your lawn. People don't rip you off at the store. People in their chariots actually use their turn signals. I mean, those really true things that show full repentance. And God, of course, looks at the heart. Always he looks at the heart. And God responds. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. It's a great thing, isn't it? It's a great thing that God does. And sometimes one theme jumps at us, and sometimes just some life applications, but first one's obvious. God gives second chances. He gives second chances um, to Jonah. Um, it says, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. I would think, why? You know, why? I mean, he's already messed up. He's already screwed up. How many opportunities, God, are you going to give this guy? Um, but it's saying, this is what God does. He gives second chances. That's how God is. And he does that again and again and again. And, and sometimes I think, boy, these knuckleheads in the Bible are there to give me encouragement as God gave them second chances. And that may mean there's hope for me. And of course, then there would be hope for you if God gives second chances. Second group of people that God gives second chances to are obviously the people of Nineveh. Um, Nineveh, the Ninevites were not nice people. They just weren't. I mean, they were nasty, but they changed, and God relented, and God gave them a second chance. Um, you always wonder why they changed so quickly, why the hearts changed so quickly, but commitment to God, turning to God, doesn't take a long, arduous process. Sometimes it does. Some people have to surrender their will, and that takes forever, and sometimes people are just so stubborn in their hearts that they don't want to surrender. It's, it's a challenge. Other people say, I've had enough of myself. I've had enough, and, and I'm just going to say I surrender to the God who made me and the God who knows me and the God who loves me. I think the reason that God called them at this time was because God said, I want you to respond to me in a great and real way. And that's what God does, and that's how God really rolls. And he puts in hearts um, an emptiness, and you may have felt it yourself, and you may be saying, I need to turn or return to God. And, of course, God gives us second chances as well, obviously, and there it is. The Bible says we were by nature's deserving of wrath. Nature deserving of wrath, and that's us. And then Ephesians 2 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. The next thing that just jumps out at me is, is how God shapes our lives. God is moving in our lives. I couldn't sleep one night. Um, it was late, and so um, I was watching really late TV. This is a few years ago. And, and if you watch really late TV, you end up seeing an awful lot of infomercials. You know, there's just a lot of low-cost commercials that come on TV. 
And um, there was a guy who was the trainer to the stars. Wow, you know, this one guy, trainer to the stars. And he helps stars, I guess, get in shape. And, and he was pitching a machine for arms and back of the arms and for this part of your waist. And there was a machine like a skateboard, a machine like, there's machines for everything, you know, on this particular device. And, and I don't know if you ever used weight machines or exercise machines or all of a sudden gone out of your way to do something that you normally do. Parts of your body hurt that you never even thought existed before. You know, they just simply hurt. And you say, I didn't even know I had a muscle there, much less an achy muscle. And that's, and that's the way, and, and God does the same thing with, with your soul, with your heart, with your life. On the inside, that all of a sudden you'll find yourself being stretched in ways that you didn't even know existed before. And God is working on our character and who we are. And, and, and so, you, you know, you find that God has been doing this thing in Nineveh, and God's been doing this thing in Jonah, and God is going to be doing this thing in our life. And in, in the city of Nineveh, there's like 600,000 stories that God is going to start changing the lives of people. And then there's Jonah, and God's changing his life. And the things, same thing is true for you. God has been stretching Jonah, and God is going to be stretching your life. I have a great book. Um, this guy, um, I don't know where he had the mind to even think like this, but he outlines the steps to spiritually grow once you find Jesus as Savior, once you commit your life to God. God will begin to take you through different steps or different areas of growth. And he surveyed a bunch of leaders that were, were um, just godly women and men in, in, in the church and, 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 and throughout history even, and he looked at their writings, and he said there are certain tests that have to, you have to go through in order to move to the next level. One of them is the scripture test, the Bible test, okay? And, and what that is is God puts a scripture in front of you, and the question is, will you do what it says or not? And it'll be challenging. For, for me, it was Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, because I wanted to seek first the kingdom of God. Paul. And I had to be confronted with that verse and have to be challenged with that. Will I pass that test and commit myself to seeking God's kingdom before my own? Um, if not, I would be stunted and stay at that growth spot until I submitted or I obeyed that. The next is the forgiveness test. God puts someone in your life and you have to forgive them. And that person may be somebody in the past or somebody that's in your, in your present, but you have to forgive that person, someone that you've been holding on to, just an anger with that you can't love them. And God will put them in mind, and you need to, but you don't want to. Um, and if you don't, you're stuck. You're stuck there. But if you do, you move on. You can move on then even into the next level. So you have the scripture test. You have the forgiveness test test. Then you have the submission test. And this one's really hard because this one, what it does is it challenges who really is in control of life, your life. Submission test is can you submit to someone or some rules that you don't like very much that God asks you to submit to with a full heart, with a whole heart, and with a sincere heart? Can you do that? Because that goes against the very core of your self-will and the very core of who you want to try and command yourself on the inside, that I'm the commander-in-chief of my own life. And God says, no, you have to learn to submit. 
And it goes on and on and on. And these are the things that God is working on in me and you. When we become a follower of Christ, on the inside, that thing is changing. And sometimes it's through tough trials. Sometimes it's through a fishy-looking guy who gives eight-word messages. And sometimes it's through prayer. Sometimes it's through situations. Did, did Jonah pass the test? Do you think Jonah ever really passed the test? I don't get the impression that he ever did. Um, I don't think he ever did. He was bugged at first when he had to go to Nineveh. He was okay when he was stuck in the middle of the fish. Um, but when he was called a second time, at first he was okay. But once he got there, it's like the Jimmy Buffett song, changes in latitudes, changes in what? Changes in attitudes. His attitude changed again, and, and he changed. And, and this is really becomes the, partial, the problem of what I will call partial surrender to God. It's not on the screen, but I'm going to share this verse. Jesus said, anyone who starts to plow and then keeps looking back is of no use to the kingdom of God. That means if you start plowing, but you look back at what you could be doing, you know, if you start God's work, serving God, living for God, and keep looking back at your old life, you're not, it's not going to work. You know why? Because what's going to happen to where you're going with the plow? You know, it's going to go every crazy which way. And partial surrender becomes like this no man's land. It's a bad place to be. Jonah is going to Nineveh on the outside, but he's trying to run his own little kingdom on the inside. Okay? And this then becomes a problem of going through the spiritual motions without any reality on the inside part. Jonah's world are orbited around Jonah, not about anybody else. Um, I don't know. God became like a triple-A card for him. When he was stuck with a flat tire, he needed him, but otherwise, he's on his own. And at some point, and this is the personal part of knowing God, it's got to really move honestly from my wallet to my heart, from my head to my heart, you know. Um, partial submission doesn't work. It just doesn't. But again, we have the God who gives second chances. Second chances. And maybe again and again, you've come face to face with the fact that there's something you're struggling with submitting to or someone you're struggling to forgive or um, whether it's even obeying what the Bible would say or maybe it's even making a commitment to God, but God gives second chances, second chances to go. And I'd like the worship team to come on up right now and they're going to set up because in a moment we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. And if you don't have uh, one of these little things, please go back and get one if you would um, so we can take together. Someone once shared this, and, and I thought it was pretty cool, and, and, I've, and I've mentioned it before. <clears throat> um, a guy was, was going to serve, and I don't know whether it was the homeless or, or something like that, and, and, and he invited a friend. And the friend responded back to him and said, you know, I'm sorry, I don't do homeless. I just don't do homeless. And so the guy went home and he thought about that and, and he said, he wrote this. He said, the world's a better place because Michelangelo did not say I don't do ceilings, you know. And he thought it out and he said, you know, if I'm really God's person, I need to understand the world's a better place because Moses didn't say, I don't do pharaohs, 
and mass migrations. The world's a better place because Noah didn't say, I don't do boats and animals. The world's a better place because David didn't say, I don't do giants. And the world's a better place because Martin Luther King didn't say, I don't do marches. And the world's a better place because Mother Teresa didn't say, I don't do outcasts. And the world's a better place because Mary didn't say, I don't do virgin births. And the world's a better place because Jesus didn't say, I don't do crosses. It's pretty cool, huh? And of course, I'm in a better place because God said, I do do grace. And I do do forgiveness. And I do do second chances. God does that for you. Um, if you need a second chance, this is a place for it. I mean, I do. I do for the God, the hundred thousandth time. I mean, what kind of God would He be if He said, "I'm sorry, you screwed up too badly. You can never come back." What kind of a God would that be? But if you're here, um, if you're watching this, be glad that God gives second chances. And the reason is because Jesus says, "I do do crosses for you. I do." And we will have the privilege in just a moment to take this. Um, the bread will symbolize that, well, this Christmas time, God came down. He entered because he cared about us. He entered into humanity and took on flesh and blood. We call him Jesus. And that makes Christmas so real that he came down. And the cup would be his shed blood, paid for the penalty of your sin to give you a second chance. And as the worship team leads, remember and think about this. Jesus did do crosses. The table is set. 
says on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, um, this is my body, do this to remember me. It's interesting to note that it said the night he was betrayed. That means that sin was rampant at that time and yet he said, I'm giving my life to you. Let's take together. And Jesus took the cup also and he blessed it and he said, this is my blood. This is poured out for you. This is for the forgiveness of sins. Remember that I'm going to die for you. Let's take. 